0: What you have always wanted to do. With me on Max's Island today, I've got Claire Allen. Welcome to the island, Claire.
1: Oh, thanks, Tony. Great to be here.
0: Claire, all our guests to Max's Island have the opportunity to tell us a story of that time in their life where they did something for themselves, perhaps changed the way they thought about life or just were influenced by something that really did make a difference to their life going forward. Have you got a time in your life where that may have happened to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Tony. It's um, it's not a good story, but I had... um. Uh, gallbladder problems, uh, which uh, were hard to diagnose. And I kept going to the doctors, but I was quite sick when they eventually got me into the the hospital. I was in the chapel praying. I was in so much pain and I collapsed. And they took me in and they said, uh, we need to get you into theatre to remove your gallbladder. And while I'm lying in the hospital, it was a couple of days. And by this stage, I was pretty sick and I was on pethidine. And they said, right, we're going to take you down. And then while I'm just about to go in the operating theatre, they said, we can't operate because we found that there's stones in the bile duct and we don't do that surgery there. And so they sent me out at 12 p.m. to Murdoch. And the doctors came in and they did the one operation. Then a few days later, they did the second operation. But I was pretty sick and sick for quite some time. And I can remember seeing on the wall, uh, that you know, at Murdoch, they have a picture of Jesus on a number of the the, the rooms there. And I kept looking at it and kept thinking... Is this what life's about? You know, like I've been dealing with this sickness and trying to be a CEO for so long, and I just keep getting sick. When When is this going to fix itself? And I, at that moment, felt I really, really needed to write my first book, which was Sacred Heart, and so, uh, as you know, I just started my job with visibility at that stage. So I had to get I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and start working on that book because I felt I needed to be obedient to that calling or that change. Um, and so I was, but it really did. It was a real defining moment around how do I get that really stronger work life harmony? And that's when I started to write some of the blogs around work life like harmony, work smarter, not harder which was tough. It's tough to change the paradigm of being somebody who works, you know, really long hours and does uh, lots of things. But I knew my health was was crucial to me and I had to change the way I was working.
0: At that point in time, you had been in the C-suite of a couple of organisations for quite a few years. So you had experience in dealing with the stresses of senior management. And it's interesting that it took a physical situation for you to get that mental realisation that things needed to change.
1: Yeah, it did. Sometimes we need the two by four across the head, right? Sometimes we need something that bashes us to say you need to wake up. Because I'm... um You know, I'm neurodivergent, I'm ADHD, and I've been ADHD from, you know, like I knew from a very young age when my parents took me to a doctor and said, she's just not quite right. I remember that was actually exactly what my dad did. He put his his finger up to his face and said, she's not quite right. And the, the doctor said, what do you mean? Well, she just runs up and down all the time. She won't stop. She has all this energy. And so it was really hard for me because... Uh, that was what was defining me, was this energy, this ability to keep going. And even when I when I was younger and I I got this this message, which was, just be still. You know you've got a busy day. Be still. Just go down to the water. And I remember going down to the water in Waliunga where the river is. And I stood there and I went, how long do I have to be here to be still? Because I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to go, you know, this is in my early 20s, I've got to go, I know. So everything was telling me for years to slow down. I just, you know, what was happening is my brain being the way I'm wired was full on, but my body wasn't keeping up. And the other thing is every time I was forced to lie down or I was ill, I would get so upset because... I thought, well, how am I going to achieve what I need to achieve if this keeps knocking me down all the time?
0: you think you got seduced by the energy and then the high achievement in the business world and and that being in the commercial world as well as the not-for-profit space? And do you think that, I guess, seduced you to keep going and keep pushing and and not not even listening to your body at times?
1: Yeah. I also started off in... um, you know, in youth work in the wheat belt where well, we didn't have any staff and uh, we had to do everything and we would deal with uh, coordinating suicides and dealing with really complex problems, um, you know, being the first responders on the scene, debriefing people in the communities. And so I was I was doing three people's jobs then because there was no one else to do them and I think I got into a rhythm of that was the way it was and funding wasn't really forthcoming and so you were doing everything on really low wages and doing everything you possibly can and then i started to learn well actually i'm i'm not uh, doing the community any favors by doing this we need to get the government to put more money in to these services and so i started to lobby more but i certainly think i started off with that work ethic of such a great purpose and maybe there's people you know everywhere that might listen to this that feel the same you just keep going and keep doing what needs to be done, but actually you'll end up being no good to anyone, which is why when I was 29, I left youth work and said, I can't do this anymore.
0: Claire, before we find out what happened after your time in hospital and the the changes that may have impacted on your thinking and the way you are as a CEO and as a successful business person, when you were first in the hospital unable to be energetic, unable to solve others' problems and unable to, to do the things that you'd been used to doing, did you have any sense of guilt that you were letting people down, that you were you know, struggling to cope with the fact that you weren't able to do what you always have done?
1: Well, I think that the reality is people still expected me to perform, even if I'm sick. And every single time that that I've been sick, people still expect me to be switched on because Because I am neurodivergent, I don't show that level of emotional feeling. And until you know me, you know that I do feel really deeply, but I don't show it like most people. And so therefore I'm I'm often seen as robotic that I'll keep going and I'll keep going. And I fall into that as well, because I don't know how to communicate at the emotional level that most people do. I've learned to do that. But it isn't something that comes natural to me. And until you get to know me and know those nuances, you know I feel at a deep level. Otherwise, why would I choose the career I've chosen? It's just that I don't demonstrate it like the like, like most people do.
0: So tell the listeners of Max's Island, what happened to change your life after that experience in hospital with your gallbladder?
1: Yeah, well, it happened again, because I got more stones in the bile duct. So I obviously wasn't listening to the universe, I obviously needed a another two by four across the head. And at the time I was going through, you know, I know it's Max's Island, but at the time, I was going through menopause as well. So I was, you know, in my 40s going through menopause, dealing with all of these health issues. And, and I still kept going. But what changed for me was that, I realized how much the spirituality and how much the time I wanted to spend in silence and meditation was far more important to me than anything else. And that was like coming home. That was like I'd always done that. But now I was doing more of it. Now I was really embracing that side of me. And that's where I enrolled in the Masters of Metaphysics, because I thought I want to do something for me. And so I kind of got excited every time they released a few more lessons on Avuda diets or, you know, uh, different religions or looking at different topics. And it energized me in a different way, in a way where there was no benefit to that, to doing that study apart from for me, not for anybody else, but just for me.
0: I've discovered that guests on Max's Island, that's really important for them in most cases, to have done something for themselves. And certainly the best stories that we've heard on Max's Island is where our guests have just realised that they need to invest in themselves. And then over a period of time, they start to understand how important that investment is, and it may be in a way that they never, ever envisaged. So you mentioned that you had a spiritual background in influence, but did you embrace it a whole lot more and let that then become a guiding light for you after the incident?
1: Yeah, look, I grew, I grew up in very orthodox religions, so Catholic upbringing, then ended up in the Pentecostal church. So I've always been deeply, you know, embracing that level of religion. But through my sexuality and, um, you know, my partner being female, I didn't fit in that world and the world didn't want me in that world. And so I had to find my own relationship outside of church. But it didn't change. That relationship with God never changed from a young age to now. My relationship with the church changed and the ideologies of those people changed. But my relationship with God never changed. And so I've always had this deep spiritual connection to God And um, and no one can shake that because I felt God's presence at the darkest times and it uplifts me in ways that I cannot explain to anybody. You know, I can remember when my father was was diagnosed with leukemia and I was in Australia and I got the news at five in the morning. I love my father. But he was dying and I knew and I'd already said in the car a week before that to my sister, if anything happens to Mama dad, I'm going back. Now, at that stage, I didn't even know he was sick. right? But I just knew inside my spirit. I was devastated in the morning. By the afternoon, I was happy. And I thought, why am I happy? When I went home that afternoon, they said, They're praying for you. They've been praying for you since this time. It was the exact time that I was uplifted in my spirit. And I believe that when we pray for other people, or when we send energy to other people, we uplift people. I believe when I pray, and I pray every single day, that I believe I'm covered with that level of pure energy. Now, I am not caught up in a a vortex of putting God into a box or a religion I'm about God in terms of, uh, you know, the deity and the power of this spiritual being. And, And I'm so blessed that I've always been like that. I mean, even if you ask my parents, they say, what the heck is she doing? I'm praying. I'd be always praying, right? Even when I was five or six, I'd be praying. Nobody asked me to go to church. I'd be there an hour before the church started, which was down the road. It's just always been in me. I can't deny it. I can't get away from it because because it just is who I am and, and no matter what I do in leadership um, and no matter what people throw at me, I just keep that faith and that keeps me going because, I, I, you know, I've dealt with some very difficult things in my career, but it's always that relationship with with God and the universe that gets me up.
0: Claire, you mentioned earlier about the first book you wrote and I know that you've been an author of a number of books. In that first book, you started to combine this spiritual thought process with leadership and with how to be at one with both aspects in a, in a professional life. Perhaps you could uh, share with the listeners on Max's Island how you believe that philosophy can work its best.
1: Yeah, I believe that if you accept the fact that you're born with all of these gifts and talents... And that's really part of what if you read the Bible is about, right, or you read the teachings of Jesus or even Odin or even the ancient philosophers is we are really talented. Human beings are a powerhouse of talent. So if you take that and you use it wisely, not arrogantly, but humbly, then you can make a massive difference. And if you're always uplifting other people, you make a massive difference. So I love reading you know, as a man think of like James Allen, who talks about of being of good character. I love Napoleon Hill that talks about having a pleasing disposition and having discipline in your life. And so that's how you translated into leadership. It's around your ethics, your values, your morals and who you are as an individual. And I think that it's just about goodness, understanding the goodness of people. Caring about people and showing kindness and not thinking you're any better than anyone else, but not denying your talents and gifts. And that's a that's an oxymoron in some ways, because people often think, oh, you seem a bit arrogant. No, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to deny who I am with my talents and gifts. Doesn't mean I'm being arrogant. I think Australians often see it as arrogance, but it's it, it shouldn't be seen that way.
0: Claire, do you think a lot of people in business, especially senior business people, try to separate themselves from those beliefs and those spiritual influences because of the perception of they need to act a certain way? Now, I know we talk in the last, probably the last five or 10 years, there's been a lot more about the individual being vulnerable and being more whole in the workplace. But I think there's still some sense of There is a different persona in the workplace. And what you're saying is quite different to that.
1: Yeah, it takes a bit of boldness. It takes a bit of risk because um, people can be turned off by it. So I don't talk about God. I just talk about positivity and good character and good values and good morals. And that is all about that spirituality for me. It's all about walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It's all about. Kindness. It's all about integrity. It doesn't mean that I don't have crucial conversations with people. It doesn't mean that I don't lead, but I do speak the truth. And um, sometimes people don't like that, but I do speak the truth, and the truth is really important to me. But leaders do struggle. But it's really interesting when when they get to know you, they'll share a little bit, and it's amazing how many long term leaders actually have a, quite a strong faith base. And, and that's because it's so important to them because it's a lonely job, right? It's really lonely. You can't get close to too many people in the job. You will almost have to remove yourself to some degree because you never know what decisions you have to make. However, you still need a rock. You need a support, whether that's your family, whether it's your faith, whether it's a hobby that just gives you joy, right? You need something That's an anchor for you. So so leaders need an anchor. If they don't have that, then they'll fall apart. They'll struggle. And you see them struggle and fall apart.
0: You think having the combination of, as you just said, faith, hobby, family, something that is a rock, do you think that is critical for an individual to actually grow and continue to grow? You know, there's again, there's a lot of talk about we can grow out of trauma we can grow out of difficult times and we can also grow quite significantly later in life. So do you think that's an integral part of being able to do that?
1: Yeah, well, look, I look at it this way. If you were sitting there right now and you're a CEO or a leader and it was time to retire, are you struggling with it or could you just get up from your chair, do a great day's work and flick off the switch? Because I could flick off the switch because I'm not defined by my job. And I think that when you're not defined by your job, when you don't have everything around that status or that title, then basically you get caught up in that vortex and it's so hard to think about a life outside of it. So one of the meditations I do is releasing attachments. And in that, I have no name, I have no form, I have no title, I have nothing, right? Nothing. And so I can spend 30 minutes just being a floating leaf in the sky, right? So that's spirituality to me because I'm not caught up in in titles or status. Once you are, you've lost your way. And I often see people lose their way in leadership because they get caught up on something. And there are times where I've been close because people have put pressure on me, but I've always pulled myself back because of my faith.
0: Claire, just as we start to consider what you've said to us and start to wind up your your time on Max's Island, I'd be interested to know what sort of advice you'd give to a young Claire in your 20s in the wheat belt of Western Australia, in the youth work, where things are, resources are, are slim, hours are long, many things to do. What sort of advice would you give that Claire now?
1: I would say to set some really clear timeframes around your life and to really do that holistic coaching. So think about what you want out of life and where you want to be within a five-year time frame and keep doing that type time, five-year timeframe. So when I talk about timeframes, you know, how many hours are you prepared to work? Because you're you're obviously going to give more than it's expected, but put a timeline on it. So if it's 40 hours a week. Um, Do 40 hours a week. If it's 50 hours a week and you're just like me, you can't bear just doing 40, do 50, but don't do 60, don't do 55. Put a time on it. If it's around how long are you going to work in a high stress environment, put five years and then what are you going to do then? What's your plan at the end of four years? So really plan out what you want to do, but make sure you've got a good financial plan, that you've got a good relationship plan around what it looks like for you. Think about how you can be a better person and make sure you've got really good um, people around you to support you as well. People that you can really turn to and, and have really honest conversations. And older people, if I was a younger Claire, older people are great at that. They're filled with wisdom, particularly when they get to our age, Tony, they're filled with wisdom and they can, they can give you some guidance along the way and say, live your life to the full and the breaks are going to be okay. Have as many breaks as you want to have, as long as you've got a good plan to back you up. So, in other words, go on your holidays, get your experiences, because in those times, you can have so much energy to really love them and enjoy them and be part of them.
0: Claire, finally, you're currently a CEO, continuing to build a career. However, you are at the, the back end of that career. What's your exciting? expectations for the next period of your career but also your life and where do you you've just talked about a five-year plan where do you see yourself in that five years
1: yeah look I am um, I definitely will be retiring in five years time but not retiring in the traditional sense I'll be focusing 100% on my spirituality and my writing. And it'll be 100% on that and giving back to as many people as I possibly can. Uh, But it'll be a very clear three day a week doing that. And the rest of the time is mine to do whatever I want we will do things differently i will do all the things that i feel like doing when i feel like doing them i i I clearly felt i had one last race in me which is where i'm at right now um which i'm enjoying and i'm glad that i'm doing it because it's going to make a difference for you know for the community i'm in but i also i'm doing a transition plan myself at the moment so five years i have um You can hold me to it, but I have basically August 2028 in my calendar, and that's kind of where things are at for me to have a completely different look at things. I've done my bit working in the corporate sector. It'll be time then for me to look at things very differently.
0: Claire, thank you very much for being on Max's Island. I knew that your spirituality and your deep thought processes was really influential in your career. And I must have been I had forgotten about that medical incident that was really serious, and, and it's interesting that you use that as a pivotal point in your life to change your thinking. But thanks for being on Max's Thank Island, you. and good luck toward August 2028.
1: <laughs> thanks for that, Tony. I appreciate it.
2: On the way home from work, he was lost in the details of life Each day was a blur, old work and old play And how, how it turned out this way his mind was as clear as the sky completely alone no emails or phone